Welcome to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast, presented by Team Snap and hosted by veteran soccer broadcaster, Dean Linke. Uniting coaches at every level of the game around the love of the game, we are United Soccer Coaches. Now, here's our host, Dean Linke. Like a Girl, a nonprofit out of Minnesota, embraces and celebrates the diverse communities of girls who play the game of soccer. Like a Girl works with girls who aren't being seen by the mainstream soccer system, largely immigrant, refugee, and low-income girls who love to play the game. Like a Girl, their girls and the places they play are effectively invisible, but Like a Girl gives them a platform to play at a higher level. One of their founders, one of three founders, Jennifer Larrick, joins me first. Then Paul Zizinski, three days before the start of this college season, was named the head coach of the James Madison University men's soccer team. Right place, right time. The man takes advantage of it. You'll like his story, particularly if you're an assistant coach wondering about getting that break. He got the breaks. He made the most of it. Jennifer Larrick from Like a Girl. Paul Zizinski from JMU. That's our show, and it starts after this message from our presenting sponsor, Team Snap. Does managing your club or league feel like a second job? If so, you might need some help. With Team Snap, you can get it. Their customers save up to 15 hours each week on tasks such as communication, registration, scheduling, and more. Plus, everything you need is online, which means no more trips to the bank, no more lost checks, and no more colossal spreadsheets. Bring your club or league into the 21st century with Team Snap. Go to TeamSnap.com to learn more. Now, once again, here's Dean. I am Dean Linky, and this is the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Snap and delighted to kind of continue a theme as last week you heard our conversation with Haley Carter, the assistant coach for the Afghanistan women's soccer team. That came one week after we had Jess McDonald on as well and Christine Sinclair talking NWSL playoffs. And from that, that kind of spurred a reach out, and we're so glad she did, from the co-founder of a twin cities minnesota-based nonprofit called like a girl that's right like a girl and like a girl's mission is to embrace and celebrate the diverse communities of girls who play soccer they work predominantly with refugee immigrant urban and or low-income girls of color who love soccer and are skilled players they organize year-round programming that supplements their girls already rich soccer experience in city-based community and cultural leagues. For example, Karen Leagues, Latina Leagues. Their work culminates in their Like a Girl College Showcase, where their girls who are conveniently marginalized and invisible to college recruiting pathways, but have the capacity and desire to play in college, are actually scouted by college coaches. How awesome is that? And when you think about Like a Girl with their community and cultural soccer spaces in general, it is definitely worth spotlighting and that's why we've done it and with us is Jennifer Larry and she's with me right now we're pretty excited about it Jen thanks for being with us Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah, so um, we're delighted that uh, you heard the NWSL podcast uh, with, you know, Jess McDonald and Christine Sinclair, two powerful women, by the way. And then also, you know, Haley Carter, what she's done, you know, doing her work to empower women and in Afghanistan and everything else. So we just want to keep on rolling like a girl. You heard me talk a little bit about it, but tell me more. Tell me why. Tell me everything on how you decided to get this started. But back the bus all the way 
way up and say how you started playing college soccer in Florida and in Minnesota and where your eyes opened up. You've got the floor. Let's hear it. Absolutely. Well, thank you. So I grew up in the Boston, Massachusetts area, and I grew up in a suburb of Boston and played club soccer my whole life. And just, you know, I grew up with role models like Mia Hamm and Christine Lilly and Brandi Chastain and Julie Foudy, all these people who were incredible players and who also looked like me. Um, and just so for as long as I could remember, I, I wanted to be a professional soccer player. I wanted to play in college. Um and I just played club my whole life and eventually got that opportunity. I played at the University of Florida and then transferred to the University of Minnesota. Um, and I knew playing pro would be really hard to do, and even if I could do it, it would end eventually. So I was like, i got to have a, you know, a, a backup or a plan B, and I decided I loved the idea of coaching. So I started studying um, youth development in school. And... My final semester of my youth development program, I uh, was required to do a field study, and I was contacted by the varsity coach, Kyle Johnson, at uh, high school in St. Paul, Como Park High School, um, and he offered me the JV position, uh, which I took, and I was able to do it as my field experience for that youth development program. Um, and before the season started, Kyle briefed me and he said, hey, you know, just so you have an idea of the population that we're working with, um, you know, almost none of them play club. One or two had had uh, past club experience, but I don't think we're playing at that at that point. Um, and he said, predominantly, they're, they're immigrant and refugee young women. Um, and so just because of my prior experience of only really knowing club soccer spaces, I went into our first day together at Camon Park kind of imagining the level of soccer would be pretty low. Um, but I facilitated this foot skills session that very first day, and I was absolutely blown away by their skill level. Um, the girls could do everything that I asked them to do. You know, they were pulling off scissors and pullbacks, and they just looked incredible. Um, and so I'm just sitting there, like, racking my brain trying to figure out how they got so skilled and incompetent. Um, you know, in my head, they, they only played high school two months out of the year, and then they didn't play clubs. So, you know, what else are they doing the rest of the year to be so skilled? I couldn't figure it out. And the only thing I could imagine was that they must be playing, you know, by themselves the ball in their backyard. Because, right, because that's what I, other than club and high school soccer, that's the only thing that I did, just played by myself in my backyard. Um, so based off my prior experience, I couldn't imagine their reality which was that, in fact, they were playing not on club teams but year-round on um, cultural current teams, right? So the, the or, or Latina teams or Somali teams, whatever their kind of culture was, they were playing year-round in these urban cultural teams and leagues um, and, and really developing a love for the game and skill for the game through that. Uh, so after the season ended, that first high school season – where I was a JV coach, Kyle was the varsity coach, and our other co-founder, Risa, um, works for a college prep program at the school, and she was the goalkeeper coach. We all kind of met together, kind of initiated by Kyle, and he was saying, we've built these really meaningful relationships with these girls over this two-month period, and it just feels kind of wrong to, to leave them alone and to say goodbye for the rest of the year, right? Um, you know, they've come to mean a lot to us, and, and we've come to 
mean a lot to them just as a part of their kind of web of support in their world. Uh, for example, some of them would come to us with questions about how to do their low-income housing forms or, you know, sometimes they would need rides really late at night. And um, we became such a web of support, right, that when a few of our girls first went off to college, it was Kyle who drove them. Um, so it just felt wrong to, to say goodbye and, you know, I'll see you next August. So we decided to form this, this nonprofit this organization like a girl to support the girls kind of year-round, both from a soccer standpoint and from a youth development standpoint. Uh, and that was really where we got our start. The website where people can learn more about what's going on with Like a Girl. Tell us the website, please. Yeah, it's areyoulikeagirl.com. A-R-E-Y-O-U. L-I-K-E-R-U-Like-A-Girl.com. Okay, and when you go there, folks, uh, we're going to walk through this, and I love it. Uh, it's just got a great way of bringing you in about us, and um, it's got these bright-eyed young ladies, you know, just smiling. You can tell that their eyes were open, and it's about your eyes being open because about us, it says your eyes were open to the invisible pitch. You talked about it. Here you got these young ladies from these different countries who are hidden, and then your mission, I'm going to say the mission, then I want you to talk about it. Like a Girl's mission is to embrace and celebrate the diverse communities of girls who play the game. Like a Girl works with girls who aren't being seen by the mainstream soccer system, largely immigrant, refugee, and low-income girls who love to play and can play, our girls are effectively invisible. We exist to change that. That mission is strong, and you're, you're definitely fulfilling that mission, right? Well, well, thank you. I, I hope that we are, and it means a lot that you'd think so. Um, and yeah, I'd love to talk about the mission. And first, I just want to mention, I'm glad you brought up the pictures on the website, because it's really important to us to to have kind of media representation of girls and women soccer players of color. Um, you know, I myself grew up a you know a young white girl in a in a suburb of Massachusetts, and I had a lot of role models who looked like me. Um, and for example, one time with like a girl, we skyped the Tibetan women's national team. Um, they're a team of Tibetan refugees who live and play in India, and as soon the video went on one of our girls to Laura she said oh my god they look like us and I really think that's the first time she had seen an older female soccer player refugee role model who looked like her and to have someone who can like you can relate to their story and who can show you that it's possible is just so important um so that idea of including images of of kind of youth girl soccer players who aren't the typical image of what traditionally is um kind of shown in our in our soccer media landscape is important to us. Um, and then about our mission, I so like I said, I was involved in, in club systems my whole life growing up. And, you know, club soccer is great. It gives a platform for, for hundreds of thousands of girls across the country to play. And, right, there's been a lot of talk lately, especially after the U.S. men didn't um, qualify for the last World Cup, that, like, pay to play is certainly a part of our youth soccer mainstream system in the U.S. And the way that I see it, right, is we don't need to dismantle pay-to-play. We just need to see all of these other systems 
that exist currently as equal to our club pay-to-play system, right? So these Latino leagues that pop up in cities and these, the Hmong tournaments and the Kren tournaments. There's a, there's a Kren tournament in South Dakota that teams from all across the country come to. That's no different than, you know, an ECNL tournament in Las Vegas, right? So I think just equalizing and, and seeing a broader landscape of girls and women's soccer is good for everybody, right? It's good for the diversity of the game. It's good for inclusion. But it's also, I think, good for the health of the game. I think we're missing this element of diversity of play. We could be utilizing it more, right? So uh, people from different cultures play differently, and you can see that uh, you know, portrayed really well in the World Cup, all these different countries' styles shown on a world stage, right? But it exists within different cultural communities in the United States as well. And so urban... You know, Latina communities grow up playing in really small spaces in city gyms and rec centers. And so if there's like a lot of a lot of people to one ball and there's not much space, you have to have a lot of skill on the ball and manipulate really well at your feet. Whereas suburban communities who can play in big, strong grass fields can kick the ball high and far and run really fast. Like there's a different you learn a different type of athleticism and skill and utilizing all of those and seeing all of those as valuable and 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 um, appreciated in our current soccer landscape, I think is important. Yeah, and I love that uh, you mentioned pay to play because sometimes the most simplistic messages are the ones that resonate the most. And as you spend time getting to know you, and uh, this is Jennifer Larrick, by the way, a co-founder for Like a Girl. When you go to your our beliefs, it's um, kind of plays off that pay to play because your belief says our way to play model, which is uh, a nice way to put it, means that any girl who wants to play has a way to play. You celebrate all ways of playing, whether between trash cans or on a new turf field. And it means that whenever a girl tries, we encourage her with a supportive cheer, way to play. And you know what? Simple's better sometimes, right? That's kind of what uh, this whole mission is all about, right? Right. And I think I think that just our ability to see and acknowledge all ways of playing as real and legitimate and valid um, it can be kind of a pers- perspective shift that can really benefit um, you know our, those those communities that are currently more marginalized and can benefit our the state of and the health of soccer in our country as a whole now you touched on it already but I want to just get a little deeper into it when you talk about the story of the three co-founders because you said the soccer pitch brought you together it united right. three coaches and a great group of girls we come from very different backgrounds but what brought us together was a ball a pitch and a passion for the game so you have all of that and what was like the tipping point where the light went off and said you know what we can really make something happen we can form this like a girl and get these players off that invisible field where they're seen so first i'll just say and i because I, I think it's a nuanced but important point um our, our goal is not to get our girls off of their current pitches not off of their current play, playing fields that happen to also currently be invisible our goal is to illuminate the fields that they're already playing on um, because they're beautiful spaces and in our u.s soccer landscape just isn't quite seeing them right now um, and the, the tipping point for us, you know, we, our very first meeting, we met <laughs> at a caribou coffee shop. It's a, it's a local chain here in Minnesota and just threw around ideas of, of why it's important to stay connected with these girls and what we've learned from them and what they've learned from us. But I think our, I would say that our biggest tipping point 
that made us realize this this was something pretty special that we had to that we all felt really passionate about continuing with was our first Lucky Girl College Showcase that first year. Um, and at first it was just going to be a celebratory tournament where we got all the, you know, not all of them, but a good chunk of the kind of cultural and community urban girls teams together to play. And then Teresa had this great idea. She contacted her college coach and was talking about it, had this great idea to make it a college showcase. And that's when it hit us that, like, there's no reason that we can't create the, these pathways between the youth soccer systems that are currently marginalized and college systems um, that are culturally relevant and that are effective, just like we've created pathways between the club systems and college systems. And I think that shift of, of thinking about inclusion um, at the higher levels of soccer really got our minds rolling and thinking about the larger systems at play um, in our communities with, with access to, you know, these girls' dreams about, about playing at the next level or about attending college. Okay. Uh, so seeing that tournament and seeing the success of the tournament and the, the feedback we got from those first college coaches who came, I think, was really encouraging for us. Okay, so let's, let's get going. The next 2019 Like a Girl College Showcase. When, where, how can college coaches attend? And give us all you can on the next one, the 2019 Like a Girl College Showcase. Absolutely. So it's in July every year, usually the end of July. And it's in St. Paul. Um, we, we pretty intentionally pick a field right in the girls' communities, so it's not a far walk or bike ride or bus ride or, you know, drive. Um, and it's uh, usually two days over a weekend. Last year we had eight teams. The very first year we had eight teams and two college coaches. The next year we had eight teams and 15 college coaches. And we're just hoping to continue to, to grow and spread the word. All right. Obviously, you need support. I know you've got some supporters. Silver Lining, the St. Paul Parks and Rec, Dream Refugee, 651sports.com. And you've also got the Futsal Society. But I know that donations are also important as well because Like a Girl is a nonprofit, by the way, folks, based in Minnesota. Yeah. And your generous donation will go toward programming to help girls on the invisible pitch find a way to play. Why is it important maybe to have some of the coaches listening support what you're doing? Well, I think it's important on a personal level because if you grew up playing soccer and loving it just like I did, I think it's really important to support, um, you know, others who may not have the same resources and, and who want to do that same thing. And then um, on a more systematic level, I think it's important to support because uh, to me, soccer is an inclusive and a welcoming game. Um, it's a game that everybody across the whole world and across many different cultures loves and can relate to. And so we, we I think, as a soccer community, really ought to do what we can to make it as inclusive and diverse as possible here in the United States. I feel like we covered a lot. I, I'm so glad that we we're also able to talk about the supporters of your program as you gear up for another college showcase. Uh, your final message on what you want everybody listening across the nation to know about Like a Girl. I'd like people to know that we're here to, to talk if you'd like to reach out or have any ideas. And I'd also like people to know that we just are, are all about a more inclusive and 
um, diverse and a more actually accurate idea of what the holistic landscape of girls and women's soccer looks like in the United States. Really enjoyed it. Jennifer Larry. I think I called some of your games when you played for Stephanie Golan, by the way, so it's always nice to see former Golden Gophers. That's such a great program doing great things. Yeah, that's that's so incredible. It's such a small world. And, you know, shout out to the Gophers. Steph Golan has been a big supporter and just last weekend, or it might have been two weekends ago, but we did an away game gopher watch party at a local bar, and it was a Like a Girl event, and it was also an equal time soccer event. Equal Time Soccer is a, is a news program that covers specifically uh, girls and women's soccer in Minnesota. Um, so it's been really wonderful to work with the Gophers. It's been wonderful to spend some time with you, Jennifer Larrick. Thanks for all you're doing. Like a girl. Outstanding work. Uh, I'm going to let you say that website one more time for everybody. Yep. We're at areyoulikeagirl.com. All of the words spelled out. All right. We hope uh, this podcast helps you continue to grow. Congratulations on all you're doing. Thank you so much. It's been great to talk with you. Good times with Jennifer Larrick, Like a Girl. Find out more by going to their website. Now back to college soccer. You know, so many times on this program, we talk about what it takes to become a Division I college coach. You got to put in the work, and sometimes you need to get a couple breaks. And certainly when you get those breaks, you got to take advantage of them. And Paul Zizinski has done it. He was named the head coach of James Madison University, their men's soccer program, just about three days before preseason started this August after Tom Foley decided to head to Boston with family and that type of thing. Of course, Tom Foley had put in a few years after the legendary Dr. Tom Martin had retired. When Dr. Martin left, he was the active leader among Division I coaches. That's how good the JMU program's been over the years. Paul Zizinski was on the staff. They brought him in, said, hey, it's your turn. They're doing a good job. He's a good guy. His story's pretty neat. It comes up next on the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Snap. This is Dean Linky with a special message from the United Soccer Coaches Foundation. The United Soccer Coaches Foundation has opened up applications for their annual grants and scholarships. Grants and scholarships are available for convention registrations, advanced education diplomas, or for the opportunity to host a United Soccer Coaches educational course at your facility for your coaches and your community. To apply or to find out more, please visit United Soccer Coaches Coaches.org slash donate or contact development officer Amanda Mitchell. The United Soccer Coaches Foundation wishes everyone luck with their application. Looking for ways to improve your training sessions? Quick Goal has supplied the highest quality soccer goals, seating, field, and training equipment for over 30 years. From backyards to the world's greatest pitches, Quick Goal has products essential for every level of the game. As an official partner to the United Soccer Coaches and technical partner to U.S. Soccer, Quick Goal knows what equipment you need to take your game to the next level. Visit quickgoal.com to satisfy all your equipment needs. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches. I am Dean Leakey, and it is presented by Team Snap. Great show so far, and uh, it's going to get even better because, as you know, when we find unique stories that we can talk about, particularly knowing our audience, where you've got a young coach who's waiting for a break, who liked playing in college and wanted to be a coach and became an assistant coach, then a head coach at NAIA, and then assistant coach at D1, and then, boom, the door opens up kind of in a unique way. You take advantage of it, and you 
run with it. And that's exactly the case with Paul Zazinski. He is the head coach for the JMU men's soccer team. And I know a lot of our old timers listening right away. JMU, you think Dr. Tom Martin, who, by the way, when he retired, was the active coaching leader for wins. That's how great Dr. Tom Martin was at JMU. And then also so many years as part of the then named NSCAA Fox Soccer College Game of the Week. JMU had us out there a couple times, set some attendance records. So he's always been about the then named NSCA and now United Soccer Coaches. And here we go now with Paul Zizinski in his first year. Earlier this week, he played NC State in Raleigh, North Carolina. He played UNC Wilmington. Not afraid to play the big boys here as well. Paul, thanks for being with us. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, I want to get to know you and I kind of want to start from the beginning. So first off, tell everybody where you grew up and then get us to UNC Greensboro as a player, how all that happened. Yeah, so I uh, grew up in uh, eastern North Carolina at a place called Atlantic Beach and uh, played uh, some some, uh, club soccer on the coast and then found my way uh, to UNC Greensboro. I also played, uh, I actually played for the Greensboro Soccer Club um, and traveled about four hours just to to play competitive soccer. Um, So I did that and played ODP and made my way to Greensboro, North Carolina to attend college at UNCG and was recruited by uh, Dan Powell and Michael Parker um, and played there for four years and had an excellent experience. Yeah, Darren Powell, of course, uh, went on to Elon for great success. Remember, he used to be part of our TV show over at the Dean Dome. He's now out in San Antonio. And, of course, when you were there, I think Eddie Redwanski, who's been on our program, was coaching the women's team, right, just to drop he was. Yeah, yep, a few more names. a little bit. Okay. Yeah. Now, here's the deal, though. When you were at UNCG, you were putting that program on the map because you guys had an amazing winning streak. And at one point, I think you were number one in the nation. Tell us about that. Yeah, it was a, an amazing experience coming from a mid-major program. The year that we were number one, uh, we beat four ACC schools in, I believe, the first like six or seven games. And from then on, we went on a uh, you know an undefeated streak of 17 games and pretty much stayed at number one throughout the course of the year and ended up uh, bowing out in the Sweet 16 at home. Um, but yeah, it was an, an amazing experience. Uh, you know, we've had to prep for, for tons of interviews as players. And, you know, I was kind of a role player, so I didn't have quite as many of those interviews. But we had some really strong uh, first-team All-Americans that I played with and guys that, uh, you know, played in the pros. So for a mid-major program at the time, uh, we certainly, uh, you know, did fairly well for ourselves. Do you remember those ACC schools that you won that season that you knocked off? you remember some of them? Yeah, so it was UNC, Wake, Virginia Tech, and Clemson. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, what an amazing run. And that was just getting you going into conference play. Okay, at some point in your time at UNCG, first of all, what did you major in? And when did you know, hey, I want to stay in soccer as a coach? Yeah, so I majored in exercise, sports, and science. And uh, when I graduated, I was looking to get into, you know, kind of being a personal trainer and really just wasn't kind of filling that void of competition. So I went into coaching high school at Southwest Guilford High School in Greensboro, uh, and I did that for two years, and I I loved it, you know, and I kind of found my niche as a coach, as a very young coach, and said, you know, I'd really like to pursue this uh, as a career. So that's how I made my way out to Montana, as I took a a leap of faith and just kind of, 
went on the road and packed my bags, and, and there I was in Great Falls, Montana. Okay, so yeah, there you were, but as a top man, right? But was that immediately as a head coach out there for NEIA? No, no, okay, no. So I was 24 years old, and and I went to to be a GA. And uh, as the first season uh, came to completion, uh, the head coach, his name was Tim Brooks at the time, took a D2 head coaching job directly after the season was over. So I was 24, I think 24, 25, and and. Uh, they appointed me the head coach of an NAIA program, um, and I kind of just ran with it. Wow. So as we get to know more of your career, you've had these incredible doors open, which is, I think, uh, based on what I'm hearing about you, it's the old uh, saying, good things happen to good people. And certainly you've had that happen multiple times, I would say. That's interesting. So you're out there as a GA, and a year later, you're the top man. You're the head coach. That's what you're telling me? Correct. Yeah. I've always been very fortunate with timing and opportunity, and I just tried to make the most of it. So in 2009, I was that assistant, and then uh, directly through my months after I got into the state of Montana and started my coaching career, uh, I was not uh, too much older than the, the players, and I had to, uh, you know, coach a very good side um, in 2010, and, and we were pretty fortunate with our success, but yeah, I was uh, very green. All right, so tell us about that success, and then remind everybody the name of the university. I know you said it already, but what it's called now, so people can tie it all together. Yeah, so it's the University of Great Falls, or it was the University of Great Falls, excuse me, and now it is the University of Providence, and it's in Great Falls, Montana. Did you guys win something big? How far did you go in the NAIA? So the first two years, uh, we went to the Sweet 16, and, and we actually had to bus from Montana to Alabama 40 hours one way. Um, both years, so we went to uh, the Sweet 16, and then we won, you know, I want to say four conference championships out of five years, so had some success out there. We recruited a lot of internationals and uh, a good amount of junior college players out of California, um, and we really, you know, as a staff and myself, we really tried to help develop the game out in Montana um, because, you know, they're a little bit behind in, in developing players and, and uh, college programs, so it was a heck of a time, and it had some success, and it really helped me, you know, understand who I who I am and who I was as a coach. All right, a couple tipping points mixed in there, and help us with the timing. Somewhere along the way, you met Donna. I don't know if that was before you got out there or during or whatever, and then somewhere along the way, you got a call to say, hey, come be an assistant coach at JMU, which I always find interesting to leave a head coaching job, but, you know, it's a, at a lower level to go to a D1 school. Like, tell us both those stories so we can keep it all together. Yeah, so I met my wife uh, at UNC Greensboro, and, uh, you know, we, we kind of did the long distance thing while I was out in Montana for a little bit, and then she followed me out to Montana. So we got engaged, and then we had our first child out in Montana, and all of our friends and family are back in, in the state of North Carolina. So after we had our first one child, you know, even though I was a head coach, I felt like it was the right moment to get them back closer to friends and family and pursue a, a higher level of coaching. Okay, so tell us how the JMU job opened up as an assistant, because you were an assistant for three years at JMU. Yeah, so um, I was familiar with the assistant coach at the time, John Trice, and just kind of put in my resume and... Uh, you know, spoke, uh, had an amazing conversation with Tom Foley, who was the head coach here for three years before I took over, and uh, it kind of just happened. Uh, it happened very quickly, and, and I moved my family out cross-country, and, and, uh, and, you know, that was three and a half years ago. 
But did you even know Tom Foley, or did you just knock it out of the park in your interview process? Yeah, no, I didn't know him at all. So it was just kind of put in the resume and, and see what happened. What do you think, again, that tipping point was? What was it about uh, you and Tom Foley where Coach Foley said, you know what, I like this kid, I'm going to bring him on? I mean, I think, you know, everything that I've been able to accomplish as a coach has just kind of been, um, you know, surrounded around hard work. And I think that, you know, that that maybe is what something that, that Tom Foley saw in me, is just the ability to, you know, uh, put my head down and grind it out. And that was evident by moving out to Montana and really sacrificing, um, you know, some of the things uh, to, to pursue coaching. So um, I, I would guess that maybe that's what he saw in me. But, um, yeah, it, it just kind of worked out. And, and uh, everything moved so quickly with a small child and a wife and everything that I really didn't have time to, to think too much about it. <laughs> well, yeah, that's kind of uh, your blueprint here, which is amazing. So <laughs> you definitely didn't have a whole lot of time to think about being the head coach because the way I understand it, just a day or two before preseason of this year, Tom Foley made a decision that you've got to respect. His family's in the Boston area and his wife's family's there. And he just said, you know what, I need to go back. And he's got some kids, so I'm leaving. And boom goes the dynamite. You've got a chance. To, how, what was that process like? Did you you have to fight off other folks or did they just prop you right up no no yeah so exactly what you said happened uh you know uh, tom foley left about three days prior to preseason and uh they brought me in and said we'd like to give you this opportunity and once again you know i was fortunate with this amazing uh you know program and uh you know i was able to, to do a little bit of planning in that three days and, and get the staff together and uh go from there but uh, the good thing was is i was already on staff so we didn't really have to change uh, a drastic amount of things. It was just kind of, let's get everybody in the preseason camp and get rolling. Do you know if they talked to the boys on the team at all about you before they brought you in? Or was, uh, since you were there around three years anyway, they already knew that you had a good bond with those kids? Yeah, I recruited most of the, the players. So, you know, we had formulated a relationship, uh, and I think they, they trusted me. So it was a, a rather smooth transition, but... Uh, I'm not certain if they brought anybody, any of the players in or not and spoke to them, but, you know, I think based on the fact that I was uh, a large part of the recruiting piece, um, that it was an easier transition. All right, Coach, you had these two opportunities where first a GA, your coach leaves, you pop up. Here, Foley leaves, surprisingly. You prop up. Uh, you know the importance of having quality assistant coaches because you were one at both places. How did you decide to build your staff? How did that happen, and who would you bring on? So Adam Perrin uh, was already at JMU as another full-time assistant. Uh, so I kept him on staff, and because of the time frame of hiring another assistant in you know two days before preseason, uh, we had uh, a gentleman by the name of Nick Melville, who's on staff right now, who was planning on being our volunteer assistant for the season. Um, but uh, I decided to make him an assistant for this year, and uh, he's been doing a great job. So they both have, have uh, you know, uh, just uh, taken um, the responsibilities and, and making the most of, of, of this opportunity, similar to, to myself. 
Knowing the timing of this and how you've rolled with it, and we do want to tell everybody now, he's got three little ones. I think three under four years old, right? Is that correct? Correct. I've got a three-and-a-half-year-old, a a one-year-old, and a newborn. Which makes your wife an absolute saint, correct? Yes, absolutely. She knows how to, uh, you know, she she understands what the the coaching world is like. So, uh, yeah, she's absolutely a saint. Well, knowing you've got all that in the mix and you only had a couple days and here you are, you're five, three, and one. You've got a nice season already. You're sitting atop the CAA, so you're continuing that JMU tradition of pretty good soccer that Dr. Tom Martin had started. What's been the biggest challenge, and what's been the biggest surprise? Uh, maybe they're the same thing. I'm not sure, though, of, of being a head coach at the D1 level, particularly with you know limited notice. Yeah, I think the biggest challenge is exactly what you said, kind of the, the, the limited time frame. You know, you really don't have time to think. Um, there's a lot of things that you might want to tweak that are, that are little little subtle changes, um, but there's just not enough time in the day to do it with a, you know the condensed fall schedule. Um, it, it's tough because a lot of times now now uh, you know our trainings are pretty much once or twice a week. So I think just that condensed time frame of how everything went down um, it limited our ability to to really think. <laughs> so we just did. Um, so that would be the biggest challenge. But, you know, one of the things that I've loved is, is just playing in the CAA. I mean, we've got an, an excellent conference and uh, some high-caliber teams, uh, UNC Wilmington, William & Mary, uh, Hofstra. I mean, all these teams uh, are, are good enough to beat anybody in the country on any given night. Knowing what you've been through, knowing how, as we say, good things happen to good people and these nice, bright glass doors have opened up for you, what's your message to all the folks listening here? United Soccer Coaches, over 20,000 members, they're doing better with the younger coaches, and it's a grind, right, for a lot. Uh, What's your message to them when they hear your story of, man, this guy did it. He went out to Montana, made it happen, the door opened, when he got it, he won, then he said, you know what, I need to... Go D one, and that door open, and you're already five, three, and one. What's your message to all those folks listening? Sometimes uh, it's not easy, you know, and you've got to make some decisions that are tough and take a leap of faith. And and sometimes it works out, and sometimes it doesn't. Um, but the one thing that I think needs to stay consistent is your work rate. And uh, I, I wouldn't have been given these opportunities if I didn't try to make the most uh, of each one of them. And and you know, I might not uh, know all the X's and O's, and I might not be the best coach in America. In fact, I am not the best coach in America, but uh, I feel very strongly that uh, if you just work hard, good things will come to you. And uh, I- I've been a product of that. Finally, a lot of times you'll hear people say you are kind of uh, you know who you hang out with, who you associate with. And I just want to end with this because uh, you know, I have the chance to meet you for the NC State game and the very next night uh, I'm spending time with Scott Wollaston who's the executive director for the new merged group in uh, you know Twin Cities and the Fusion and Greensboro United and he's a you know that's a big old club and then Taylor Johnston who was with the club and I got to know pretty well a great guy it's crazy like just boom 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 all of a sudden oh yeah I, I love I love coach at JMU like just talk about uh, I mean those are good people you're hanging with there yeah, I'm fortunate to have uh, good people surround me. Um, Taylor Johnson's one of my best friends um, and, and uh, college roommate. And, uh, you know, uh, and Scott, I was fortunate to meet uh, here recently. And, and uh, 
I mean, I know he's doing really good things in, in the Greensboro and in Salem area. So, um, yeah, good people to know, but uh, I'm very fortunate to, to call those guys friends. Remember the name, folks. Paul Zazinski, spelled Z-A-Z-E-N-S-K-I, the head coach for JMU, the Dukes men's soccer team. They got five wins already. They're atop the CAA. Not afraid to take on some ACC teams, just like his team at UNCG did as well. Coach, listen, thanks for spending time with me. I'll let you get back to your team, and, and good luck to you. Thank you so much, Dean. I really appreciate the opportunity to come on here and yeah, kind of share my story. So thank you so much. Good times, good show. I want to thank Jennifer Larrick from Like a Girl and also Paul Zizinski, head coach of the JMU men's soccer team. Next week, we'll talk to Lynn Berling Manuel, the CEO of United Soccer Coaches. I want to thank Mike Knipper for all of his help, Sean Chevro as well. And I also want to congratulate Mike Knipper. He's getting married, folks. Good luck, Mike Knipper, and to your bride as well. We'll see you next week, same time, same channel. United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Snap. Managing your club or league shouldn't feel like a second job. With Team Snap, it doesn't have to. They help their customers save time and sanity on tasks such as communication, registration, scheduling, and more. Bring your club or league into the 21st century with Team Snap. Go to TeamSnap.com to learn more. 